0: Hasn't Chris just done a wonderful job today? I think he has. Give a round of applause for Chris. He spent, he spent the whole of yesterday barbecuing, and, uh, and he did the actions, reproducing a resurrection live on the stage. And what, oh, I think he's done a great job. Constantly in awe of Chris. Well, it's, um, we've had a lovely week away, uh, Julie and I and the family. We've been in Ilfracombe down in uh, North Devon. Lovely week. Our children discovered bodyboarding, or at least two of them did, which was just a joy. So we spent lots of time in the sea. Uh, well, Julie didn't. Julie spent a lot of time on the beach reading a book. But I spent a lot of time in the sea with the kids, and we had a lovely time. But it's lovely to be back, and it's lovely to be able to speak to you this morning. Um, earlier this summer, we were at New Wine, and um, as were a lot of you guys. And uh, one afternoon, I, uh, Ben and Joshua uh, were happy kind of playing on the campsite, and um, I noticed that Ella was at a little bit of a loose end. So I said, Ella, why don't we go for a walk? Let's go for a little walk with Daddy. And, um, and maybe we could buy some sweets or something. Because I realised that going for a walk with Daddy is not always the most appealing thing in the world. So I sort of butter up with the possibility of buying sweets. So off we go. We go for this little walk. And after... Um, we've probably travelled about 100 metres. So we hadn't even got off our little camping area. And um, I discovered that this... For Ella wasn't just a, a general kind of sweet buying trip. She had in her mind a very, very specific sweet that she wanted to buy. It was a sweet that she'd seen other children at New Wine eating, and she wanted to sample the goodness of this sweet. It was basically a, a, a blue, a bright blue lolly. Uh, that was bubblegum flavoured, and inside the lolly was uh, a lump of bubblegum. And this is what Ella had her heart set upon. And so I realised that we were no longer just on a a gentle stroll around New Wine. We were now on a quest. And um, I realised that at the end of this quest, there was the potential for, for heartbreak and disappointment if we didn't find this very specific sweet that Ella wanted. And no joke, about an hour later, having done two circuits of every vending place and the whole of New Wine, we finally found this sweet that Ella wanted. And it was hidden uh, on, the, uh, in the, uh, on the counter behind a whole load of other boxes of sweets in the main New Wine campsite shop, the, the, you know, the one I mean if you've been there. And there it was, this bubblegum-flavoured lolly with bubblegum inside it. And I can tell you, uh, as I handed over the 25 pence that it cost... There was a great deal of internal joy and rejoicing that I had found this um, this lolly that Ella's heart was so set upon, and uh, you know, in, in this in this really well known, well loved chapter of Luke's Gospel, Luke records these three stories that Jesus um, that Jesus tells about lost things: a lost sheep, a lost coin and a lost son, and about the people that are searching for them, and about the parties that they have when they find them. I think when we're looking at any passage in the Bible, it's really helpful for us to think a bit about the context of the passage, and the context in which Jesus tells these stories is this. He is surrounded by tax collectors and sinners. Jesus is surrounded by a group of people who are on the very margins of Jewish society. And I have this kind of picture in my mind of them kind of huddled around him, this big group of people kind of crowding around him, sitting at his feet, wanting just to be near him, wanting just to hang out with him, wanting to hear what he has to say and what he has to teach. And then stepped back a few paces, must be careful, from this group are the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And they're looking at what's happening and they're pointing their finger and Luke says that they were muttering, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. What they accuse Jesus of doing is not preaching to the sinner, to the tax collector. That would be a noble task. What they accuse Jesus of doing is in effect, being too close. He's too close to them. He eats with them. He parties with them. You see, in doing that, Jesus offended their idea of holiness. Jesus offended their concept of what was holy. See, for them, the the, the idea of holiness was all about separation. We keep those things which are clean Separate from those things which are unclean, lest the things that are unclean contaminate the things that are clean. That's why they had so many rules about what you can touch. You can't touch dead bodies. You can't eat certain types of food. If you've got certain medical conditions, you can't do certain things. Because they had this idea of separation. Holiness was about separation. We separate the unclean from the holy in case the unclean contaminates what was holy so that's why they wouldn't eat with the tax collector or the sinner lest they be contaminated by their uncleanness but it seems as though Jesus has a completely different concept of holiness it's as if Jesus is asking the question yes but what if what was holy might affect what was unclean what if the holy thing might transform that what was unclean and so Jesus rather than stepping back and avoiding these people Jesus steps right forwards into their presence he hangs out in their homes he has them gathering around them and he parties with them that's what the incarnation is about isn't it the holy transcendent God taking on flesh and hanging out with people like you and like me. It seems to me that one of the greatest compliments people could pay us as a church is if they pointed the finger at us and said, you guys get too close. You guys get too close to the sinner. Now it's important to say that Jesus wasn't persuaded by the sinful lives that those people lived. Jesus wasn't contaminated by their sinfulness. Jesus didn't approve of what they were doing. In actual fact, when he had opportunity, he challenged them. He challenged their lifestyles. He wasn't contaminated by it, but he drew close in the hope that they might be transformed by his holiness, by his goodness, by the grace that was upon him. Wouldn't it be great if we as a church at St. Paul's were known as the people that got too close? You get too close to the lost. You get too close to the sinner. You get too close to your neighbor. You get too close to your colleague. You get too close to your classmate. Wouldn't that be a great thing for us as a church to be known for? The people that get too close. And that's what the Pharisees were accusing Jesus of. You get too close. And so Jesus tells these three stories. The story of the lost sheep. The story of the lost son. The story of the lost coin. And we're going to look today particularly at the story of the lost coin. These stories, they're similar, but they're different. And... When we're looking at parables particularly, I think we have to be careful that we don't turn every little detail of a parable into some kind of huge doctrine. I'm not sure that Jesus was intending those, the stories to be used in that kind of way. But what I want to look at this morning is I want to look at two differences between the story of the lost coin and the other two stories in, in the trilogy, if you like, and one thing that was similar about all of them. Does that make sense? So I want to look at two differences. Two differences and one similarity. The first difference, and there's there's a number of differences, but I'm just gonna pick up on two. The first difference is that the coin is an inanimate object. That may sound really obvious, it it is quite obvious. But the, the other two things that get lost are a sheep and a son. But the coin is inanimate. The coin has no concept of the fact that it is lost. In a way, to the coin, it's not lost because it doesn't have any concept of what it means to be lost. It doesn't have a concept of anything. It's an inanimate piece of metal. The coin is lost because it's of value to the woman. The sheep, I don't know much about sheep, but I imagine at some point when the sheep wanders from the flock and from the shepherd, it becomes aware that it's alone and that it's vulnerable it's away from the flock it's away from the safety of the shepherd the sheep can do something about the fact that it's lost it may not be able to do a great deal but it can do something the sheep can use its eyes it can use its ears it can cry out to the shepherd a coin can't do anything the coin is just lost in the dirt of the house it's inanimate it doesn't know anything about what it is to be lost the same with the son the story of the lost son Mark's going to speak about it next week the son when he realises that he's lost in a foreign country and has no food and has no money he makes a decision to return to his father but the coin knows nothing about flock and it knows nothing about family it's lost but it's only lost because of how precious it is to the woman And the coin relies upon the passion and the determination of the woman with the lamp in order for it to be found again. And Jesus tells of her perseverance, her determination. She lights a lamp. She sweeps the house. She keeps on going until she finds this coin that's so precious to her. The second difference is... um, that she is a woman. We tend to think of the, the, the owner of the sheep, the shepherd if you like, who's looking for the lost sheep. He's a man. The father waiting for the return of the son, well, he's obviously a man. But here's a woman with a lamp. Now, I don't know if you've ever met a theologian. I've met a few. Theologians get very excited when they see things in the Bible that occur in threes. It's just a wonderful thing to them. Because they think, possibly here, we have an image of the Trinity. And that, for a theologian, is one of the most exciting things that can happen in their whole life. And um, I hope I didn't offend anybody by saying that. Uh, I hope none of my lecturers from college listen to this. Either that would be, oh, sorry if you do. But anyway, that's what, I know that that's, a, that's a very exciting to them. And so, in these three stories, we have, this, we have this story about a shepherd. When we think of the shepherd, we think of Jesus. We think of God the Son. We think of the one who was known as the Good Shepherd. We think of the one that was sent because the shepherds of Israel did not do their task. And then we have, in the final story, we have this father. And so we immediately think of God the father, the one who's longing for the return of the prodigal. And in the middle we have a story about a woman with a lamp. And the scholars would suggest that here, we have an image of God, the Holy Spirit. But more than just God, the Holy Spirit, we have an image of God, the Holy Spirit, and the church. The church empowered by the Spirit, searching in the dust of the earth for the coin that was lost. The Trinity involved in searching for those that are so precious to them and those which are lost. I love that because actually we're caught up in that. We're caught up in that story. St. Paul's is caught up in that story. St. Paul's empowered by the spirit, searching in the dust, sweeping the house for the coin that's lost. You know, um, the church that I was originally from came from in Tunbridge Wells. They have a, a kind of a weekend away. They go to a local school uh, in Tunbridge Wells every May. And um, I, Julie and I and the kids, we go back. Uh, we've been back for the last few years just to reconnect with people. And other people who've gone for, to ministry and stuff from, from that church go back as well. It's a lovely, lovely time. But um, one of, this, this was amazing because this last time, because we went back and... Just a little bit of history, before. for a couple of years before we left St Matthews, the the youth work in the church had really been very outward focused, and um, the youth work had connected with a lot of very, very broken young people in our community, and they'd started coming along to our evening service, and I tell you, they were unbelievably disruptive. The the funniest moment, well there was lots, I could tell you lots of stories, but one, just as a little example... One night they, they stole a chicken from a local garden and brought it into church, just let it, let it free in the church. And then we managed to kind of restrain them and the chicken before it actually got into the main building where people were, but their intent was that it was they would, would be a chicken running around in the church. It was quite funny funny when you look back on it. it wasn't funny at the time. <laughs> the staff meeting on Monday morning was. A lot of fun. But um, I tell you, they were really disruptive. And there was one girl, I mean, I could tell you about a lot of them, really, but there was just one of them. And she was the angriest person I've ever, ever met. She was about 14, I guess. So angry. And um, well-meaning people, people that loved these young people, would, go, would sometimes go up to them in a, at the evening service and say, would you just mind if you kept the noise down? And she would just stand up and she would swear at them in front of everybody, and she was so angry and it's really hard to know just how, what to do, how to cope with her. And, and I went back to this weekend and she was there. And um, she was like a completely different person. She, it's like her, her whole demeanor was different. She smiled, she was gentle with people, she was polite with adults. She played with, these, with the kids. She was just a delight to be with. It was like, I just couldn't believe that it was the same person. And I just thought, what, an, what a wonderful example of the church, just an ordinary church, empowered by the Spirit, searching in the dust of the earth for the lost coin. Someone who had no idea of flock, No real idea of family. And that the church somehow persevered, and trust me, it was perseverance, searching for this lost coin. We're caught up in this story of the woman with the lamp. Finally, the similarity. The similarity is that each of these stories ends with a party each of them ends with that sense of celebration with the person who's looking finding what they're looking for and inviting their neighbors their friends to party with them there's this wonderful sense of celebration and rejoicing just like when i found the bubblegum flavored lolly a bit more than that probably and um you know about a year ago we had this um we had a family holiday my family uh, came and stayed with us in Cambridge, and one day we um, went swimming in the River cam at granchester, and um, which is something that people from cambridge do and um, so we went some of us went swimming, and my mum was charged with the job of looking after the valuables and um, my brother in law gave her his wedding ring and um, to look after along with a few other things and um, when we got home after our swim uh, he asked my mum for the ring, and, and she didn't have it. She'd lost it, not not int- obviously not intentionally, but it just wasn't there. And so my dad and uh, and my brother-in-law they went back to the riverbank and they searched all through the, all along the bank where we'd been sitting and looked for this ring, couldn't find it. The next day. Uh, my brother-in-law hires a metal detector, <laughs> and uh, he goes back, to, we, so this time we all go, because we never use a metal detector mainly, this seems like r- lots of fun. <laughs> so we all went back to the riverbank and he had this metal detector, and he searched, we're all searching along the bank, and uh, after just a tw- probably 20 minutes of searching, we find this ring just hidden deep within um, this sort of clump of grass. Never have found it without this machine. And um, I tell you, that night, there was a real sense of celebration that we'd found this ring because it, it was kind of causing a little bit of stress in the middle of the family holiday, if I'm honest with you. And uh, we weren't able to relax until this year. And uh, we found this ring. There was a wonderful sense of celebration. And if you've ever lost anything that's precious to you, you know that feeling. If you've ever lost a child on a beach or in a supermarket, just, even just for a few seconds, you know that sense of relief and celebration when you suddenly find them and get, oh, these stories all end in a party people celebrate and I think Jesus is kind of opening, not, he doesn't just tell the story that it ends in a party but I think he's he then opens up a window onto heaven for the benefit of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law I think he says look guys when one of these people that you label a sinner returns when one of them repents the whole of heaven is partying over that one person they are so precious to god the father god the son god the holy spirit that that heaven celebrates when they return why don't you why don't you why do you stand and point the finger when the whole of heaven celebrates when one of these people repents Wouldn't it be great if we as a church were known as the church that got close, that went looking, that persevered and swept the house until the lost coin is found. We're going to pray in a minute. I just want to finish with this. I've just been reading a book over the summer um, by um, Graham Tomlin. It's, It's called The Prodigal Spirit. One of the things that he says in that really struck me in this book was he said, when we pray the prayer, come Holy Spirit. That's something that we will off, or weekly do here at St. Paul's. One of the things that we're, one of the things that we're doing is this. Was to, we're asking two things. The first thing is that we are asking that somehow the Spirit would draw us into the love that the Father has for the Son and the Son has for the Father. And in that place of love is healing and wholeness and identity and calling, and all of those kind of things. A place of healing for God's people. But the other thing that we're doing, and I, this is the bit that struck me the other thing that we're doing when we pray, Come Holy Spirit, is we are inviting the Spirit to send us out to be part of the recreative work that the Spirit does in the world that we don't just pray that prayer for our benefit for our healing and our wholeness we pray that prayer so that, impo- so that we might be sent empowered by the spirit to be involved in the spirit's work of recreation in the world I thought that was great so we're going we're to invite the Holy Spirit to come and for some people they may just need to be drawn into the love that the Father has for the Son and the Son has for the Father. And that's great. But I also want us to think as we pray that prayer that actually what we're inviting is we're inviting the Spirit to send us. To send us to get close to your neighbour, to your colleague, to your family, to your classmate. We're asking the Spirit to send us out